you know, earlier on in the conversation, you were talking about root causing, um, you know, I think some challenges in organizations as related to pricing and discounting and whatnot. And I saw that you had posted, I don't know, past day or so, something from, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, from EOS, right? Um, the Entrepreneur's Operating System. Yeah. And I did a, a tour of duty at Danaher where they had the Danaher business systems, which is right, yeah. similar, right? Um, similar type thing. And one of the things that they would always talk about and a great tool and that's in that environment is to five why something. If you're trying to find out yeah. the root cause. Five whys, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ask why five times, right? And by the time you get to the third to fifth why, you've gotten to the root cause. And the more I started looking at the data and, and recognizing it, I always came down to it was it was always a people process or tool problem. Yep. And the tool I, and I like to invert it because I was like, okay, did we use the wrong tool, right? <laughs> yes or no, right? If I used a hammer for a screwdriver, then I've used the wrong tool. Let's fix that. And then it's the, because that's the easiest thing to fix, right? right? And then the next one down is a process fix. And you're like, okay, did we, did we do, do we have the right processes in place? Oh, no, we don't. All right, well, let's fix the process. And the one that I, um, I always like to go to last that sometimes I find people go to first, especially if they're, they're younger in their careers, they want to play the blame game, right? It's the people, right? What now? Hot potato. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, no, 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 no. That should be the last thing we go to because when you really get to a root cause in that it's either a question of um, willfulness or incompetence. And if it's a question of incompetence, then it's a question of capability or um, or leadership, right? right. And mm-hmm. even, even if it's incompetence, then it's on me as the leader because yeah. I put somebody in that wasn't trained, right? Or right. they don't have the capacity. But if it's willfulness, that's yeah. a totally different conversation. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I... Um... You know, I was, I was very fortunate to work with a company called, they're now called uh, Oseco Alpha, but it was Oseco, and the VP of operations there, a gentleman called Rob Barsic. I mean, he was a massive lean orientation. And, you know, when I got there, you know, he, he, he transformed an organization to lean, and then they got to project management training. And so, and we're at the board meeting asking for project managers in terms of the, who they're going to do the operations side. So well, why aren't we, why haven't got people across the board to the project management training, which is really where Rob was going because he was correct. You need to kind of have those skill sets across. But one of the things he'd also done, Lean 101, which is these one-day courses you can get done at the local techs. As part of your onboarding of this manufacturing company, everybody went and did Lean 101. So they learn about the five whys. They learn about, you know, single part flow and all these sort of things that really was missing in people's education coming into this world. And it and it had that main message, which was, we're not going to get annoyed at each other because it's probably, <laughs> you're right, it's, it's very rarely a people person at first until you've gone through the process. And when it does come to, if, if it is willfulness, then that's a really easy HR decision. Um, you're absolutely right. But it's, you know, and part of going through, I think I like the way you kind of inverted that because going through that process, you'll see very quickly if you've got a people issue anyway, because they don't want to do it. No. 
or they don't do what they say they're going to do. They, they, they go, yeah, they're not there. They go, yeah, that's a really good idea. And then they just don't do it. <laughs> so, um, but you're right. I think that's the stuff that kind of really drives that, that kind of cultural change and engagement. Um, and so in terms of the five whys, is, is that a, um, is that something you're still currently using in your role or with your customer group? I and mean, then how do they, how do they accept? Cause I mean, I've seen people like lean, like people like agility. I mean, there's all these, these systems. It's kind of hard to see when cultures, buy into that and oh, how they buy into it yeah so it was funny because what i found at danaher is those systems and processes were religion okay. right that, yeah. that became almost inflexible right it was like you will uh, fit uh, into this process uh whereas and then i've also been in uh, i guess what i, I want to say highly entrepreneurial but maybe a very flexible environment that rejects process and that's that's where i actually for my, my DNA was formed in, in that. And so I, I loved, I hated and loved going through Danaher, right? Mm -hmm. It was a mentor had recommended. He was like, you right, need to go yeah. work there. Right. And I was just, he's like, you're going to hate it and you need <laughs> it. Right. Yeah. And, and he was right. Right. But back on it with fun. So anyway, to come back and answer your question, what I found was it's, there's a series of tools that are in the toolbox yeah. and depending on who I'm talking to, I can use different language to yeah. present it. Right. So with some people, I, if I say, Oh, well, we need to do a root cause analysis. They're like, what, what are you, why are you doing MBA speak? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. You know, it's like, okay, no, I'm, I'm talking with somebody that's in blue jeans and boots and whatever. It's like, Hey, let's figure out what happened here. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're like, okay. And I don't say we're going to use a five Y. It's just like, let's just start going through it. Yeah. And it's great. But if I'm sitting in a boardroom or what have you, then yeah, you talk about root cause analysis and countermeasures. Yeah. You, yeah, you got to play the uh, musical and marketing bingo on the bingo on the marketing terms. But we ended up having corporate speak bingo cards as well. You could yes. get the line as quickly as possible. But you, you mentioned a very uh, key point there because again, uh, strategizers, um, another group of people. I got a lot of great books out there um, on business model canvas and stuff. But they've got their big push has been about um, invincible companies. Has got them into this conversation of exploit, explore, um, and the fact that the the two parts of an organization that has to innovate and has to do things creatively. Um, you know, it's very hard to hold them to timelines and budgets and stuff because, again, they're, they're working stuff out. Um, and then you look at the other side, the, the exploit side, which is the traditional, you know, you've got it, you know, especially if you're a public traded company, you know, shareholder value, there's clear, hard goals. And if we're not hitting it, we're going to go cut 200,000 people. You know, those that very structured, highly disciplined. And it's, it's kind of interesting now the philosophy, looking at a lot of Chinese companies, They've been putting two MDs in role who are the same level for the same company reporting to a CEO. And the arguments being is that set of what the KPIs and measurements are on one is way different to the other. That's right. And, and then you look at organizations where people have usually struggled or you know, been done well so far and they struggle is because they intentionally ended up, maybe they're good at one side, but they ended up on the other side. Um, and so the real trick is when you introduce these new business models coming in from the explore side, they're usually going to displace the current business model and how everybody does it, which is why you get so much pushback. So then you've got to have this in-between person who's the um, implementer. And so they've got, you know, they are, 
again, purple unicorns, because, I mean, they've got to be able to play in both sides and, and bring that implementation in. Um, and, you know, I, we saw this back on our Hilti days when Hilti went away from selling tools to, to, to fleet, which was really, um, you bought a fleet of tools for two years and there was a monthly payment. And most of you are going to sit there and say it's leasing, but it was more than that. They did, they did insurance and they did a whole bunch of stuff around the, around the tool. Well, when you first launched out to the first generation of salespeople who've been selling tools for 30 years, they were like, that is, the, that is never going to happen. It was such a big barrier. And one of the challenges was my learning after seeing how that was done. And it took two or three years until they'd gone through a bunch of salespeople who had eventually left, brought new people in who didn't know any different, um, and they transitioned through. But the, the, the learning from that was they had really... Yes, it was the right business model for the organization and for the customers. Customers get tremendous value out of always having the newest tools. But you kind of look at that and said, you know, that was the problem with that, that, yeah, they had to change the way the business models, but the implementation is what caused the challenge and probably extended it three or four years longer than it needed to do. Um, you know, I've been away from that company now, what, 10 years? And, you know, that company, just without those changes in the way they changed their business model, I mean, they, they're over the billion. I think they're hunting their way to two billion now. Well, and, and that's it's so that's a perfect example, right? They they disrupted themselves. Right, exactly. Ahead of the market. But really disrupted themselves in the implementation portion, but they eventually worked it out. But you're right. Yeah. But again, it was, and, and what I found was eventually when they did sort it out is you started to see the people who were good at the exploit side stay to, ex, to exploit and the explore people stay to explore. And you had to kind of respect those skill sets. Well, and it's it's interesting. So are you familiar with Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm adoption curve? Uh, no, no. So he, there's a guy by the name of Jeffrey Moore wrote this book called Crossing the Chasm. And essentially what it was, he segmented the adoption of uh, people towards new products and new technologies. Okay. Right. So you've got... Um, innovators, then early adopters, then the early majority, late majority. And all right, the so probably, okay, product, product introduction and that sort of stuff. Yes. Okay. All right, yeah, you, yeah. you tweaked a very, 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 very deep memory. But thank yes, you. Yes, it's old. <laughs> it's, it's old. But, yep. but what I found is that in change management, you have to look at your employee base the same way. Yeah, great point. Yep. Right. Yep. And when you're driving, don't waste your time with laggards trying to make them be leaders no, when it comes to change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the thing to do is tell them, Hey, look, change is coming. Start your clock. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go play over here with the innovators and the early adopters for a little bit. And you're going to hear some stuff and it's coming. Right? right. And then, and then recognize who the non adopters are because in a business setting, your non adopters are the people you're going to have to eject. Yeah, or convince them, and then they become your biggest supporters. But you're right; most of them are probably not going to make it. Sorry, I, what I, I what I do is I, I think laggards are the ones that can become my our biggest supporters. I yeah, think non adopters are yeah. ones that are just like oh, yeah, the militant. You're absolutely right. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, that's a that's a that's an express ticket out of yes. the organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, that's that's a as it got me reflecting, I think that's that's very powerful because I think that's the challenge with smaller businesses. Because what do you do when you have somebody who's been around? They're a, they've got a lot of tribal knowledge in the organization. Um, you know, as an owner, you're going to have to make some changes or bring somebody in. But 
Um, and I had a discussion early in my career doing this where that was exactly the conversation. The conversation was centered more around going through seven or eight people and how they would react. And I remember looking at the person and go, I'm not quite sure who's running the organization. And it was a tough thing, but, it's, but again, I could already see I was going to be almost perceived as this bull in a china shop was just going to come in and it was just going to wreck the whole thing. And, but, you know, two of the people that she was describing to me, this person was just really like, yeah, they are not, they are never going to change. They're never going to help you. And there'll be a thousand reasons why they can't do it. And not one reason why they can. So, but again, that's tough because these smaller businesses, I mean, the very intimate, I'm not going to use the word family because I don't like the, you know, we're, we're a family. No, you're a business, but they're very intimate. There's a lot of connection and there's a lot of history. And so that becomes really big emotional decisions for small business owners because there's a lot of loyalty there. You tend to not to see that too much in corporate. Um, and so I think that's one of the things is, you know, being really compassionate about and empathetic, the fact that that's what they're going through. Um, but yeah, I'm still, I still believe rightly or wrongly that everybody's salvageable until they decide that they're not, <laughs> until yeah. they decide that they're not, and we'll give you every opportunity. Um, and so I think, you know, back to your point you said before, if you know, if you haven't given them the training and the skill sets and they, you haven't exposed them to ideas, then, you know, most people I've met, once they see some of these ideas, are like that is really interesting, and they run with it, and that's what you want. That then they become it becomes a pulling action. But it's, um, but you're right. If you've got people who you know, my daughter's into reading a lot. What listen to a lot of those podcasts about um, crime and stuff. So I don't know. Is it three percent psychopaths in the, organi- in, the, in, the, in the population? I don't know what percentage is. <laughs> it's single digits. Yeah, it's single digits. Well, you took a look at 100 employees. I mean, you're going to have two or three people who they're not. I mean, I don't think they're doing it intentionally. It's just how they how they are, and you know, give them every opportunity. But you know, if they select to be promoted out of the company, then fine. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I found was extremely powerful when you talk about driving change and things like that is. It, and this is just, it's change management 101, but you've got to cast that vision about where you're going and the expectations of that particular individual, right? And yeah. and then I, what I found helped immensely was say, all right, how does that, how do you see that playing out? And then giving them what I would say is the power of the opt-out or the power yeah. of the opt-in, right? The power of yeah. the option, which is, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't highly value you. Right. We yeah. want you to be a part of the organization. The question that you've got to ask is, do you want to be a part of that vision going forward? Yeah. And yeah. Well, well I think the other issue is it's, it's back to, as you said, with your own career, as you go through your value to an organization changes, hopefully for the better, but in some cases you, 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 like carbon 13, you have a half-life. I mean, you know, you age out because of the value. Um, and, you know, I'm working with a client group at the moment. And, again, there's people in the organization, they are clearly on the wrong seats in the bus. The bus. But that isn't the reason to let them off the bus. And the question is, you know, would you consider them for other and, and part of it is, well, we need this and we need that. And it's like, well, but these people have got multiple years in your business. 
you know, it can, can we, but again, you're right, um, back to EOS, there's the, uh, what's the three criteria, uh, can, they, can they do it? Um, but the final one was the one that doesn't, can they do it? Uh, do they get it? That's correct. Can they do it? Can they get it? Do they get it? And then do they want it? And that's the bit I see missing in a lot of HR issues. We don't do the, do they really want it portion? Um, and I think that's why I see a lot of people end up in roles who really shouldn't be there. Uh, and I know I've probably done that in a couple of roles as well in my past. Uh, yeah. And so, but it's, you, you're absolutely right that, that that's, you know, especially with change management and getting organizations to change. I mean, you got you got to find your cheerleaders really quickly. Um, what was that video? I saw a video for a couple of, I actually went and re-got it, it like 10 years ago, one of the first early TED three-minute conferences. It was the um, How to Start a Revolution. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. The guy yeah. goes in the middle field. And, uh, he's, you know, everybody's looking at him, laughing at him, thinking, you know, what, what was I, yeah, who doing? And the whole point was the, you know, one of his friends goes over and talks him to come and sit down. You can tell he's coming out and he's really saying, look, look, you're embarrassing at all. You need to come sit down. because <laughs> he brings him back. And he got the guy still dancing in the field. Um, uh, there may have been alcohol involved. And uh, so eventually he goes back out there and decides just to join him. And then two people come through. And of course, within the whole two or three minutes, there's what? Well, it's like 400 people dancing in the middle of the field. And, you know, the awful thing with change management is not, a, you know, it's, it's great having the vision and getting out there, but you've got to have that crazy second adopter, the person who's just like, the second person is like, you know, I think Mike might be right. We've got to go follow him. And that's, <laughs> that person is, is always, yes. it's that second person. is If you can find that second, third person who say, you know what? This is crazy enough. I think it's going to work because it's better than the pain we're going through at the moment. Um, but I think a lot of people, it's, you know, you're right. Find those one or two people. And back to you said before, so those people who look like they're just going to dig the hills in, you know, they've lived through the pain. So if they can kind of step onto something that's going to be way better, I mean, they become, yeah, they become your cheerleaders by far. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. So, well, man, Darren, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Um, is there anything I can do for you? Um, as you said, that one of the things that that you miss is kind of having these conversations and boundaries because this is the stuff you usually have in your office on a Wednesday after Friday afternoon have a coffee with somebody. You just kind of shooting the wind and stuff. And so, um, so this has been a great conversation. Uh, like I said, um, just keep doing what you're doing. And like I say, I'll keep um, trying to find people like um, Mike to send you away. I, hopefully, that's going to um, pan out into something well with uh, the Sandler team. I think Mike's got a really good business up there that uh, um, would probably be helpful for your clients as well. I know they're certainly going to be helpful for my clients. Um, yeah. But again, uh, for me, yeah, like I said, we'll, uh, I know where you live, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> you can find me. I'll, I'll be able to find you, yeah, exactly right. So we can find you. So I really appreciate the offer. Thank you. And again, from my side, just so you know, from the sales acceleration side, um, there's probably about 200 of us in the US. Um, there's probably not an industry that these individuals have not been in. So, you know, if it's something that I haven't been into or whatever, I can always go find you a grown up who will, uh, can help. And then the other benefit from the SX side that we have a ton of, from the South Accelerator side, we have a ton of uh, productivity partners we work with. Um, so if you're looking for ideas on CRM, you're looking for data analytics, you're looking for paid data sources, um, looking for sales training, 
all that sort of stuff. We we also have a very large network of people who can uh, can assist there as well. So um, happy to share that with individuals as they need it. Awesome, awesome. So th- th- by the way, there's a story we should come back to another day, um, just when we're catching up or whatever. And it was you you were talking about the uh, the two DNAs, right? Exploit and explore. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, a I was part of probably three different initiatives in different companies where they were very established entrenched exploiters. And they're like, oh, we've right. got to become explorers, right? <laughs> Good luck with that, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, whoa, okay. And because I because I come from that entrepreneurial background, I just right. naturally get I'm I remember one time I said, you know, I want to celebrate these risk takers. They quit their job and they joined this other group in the company. I'm like, right. That's, they didn't give up their paycheck. They didn't. All they did was they they left one business unit to join another business unit, right? Like that's that's not. <laughs> yeah, no. their insurance is still coming in, right? It might be, but again, their their world has changed, and what success looks like is very different now for them. Um, yes. And yeah, and so. Yeah, and you're right. Those those risk takers uh, wasn't the round pegs and the square holes of the old the old Apple poem that was used years ago. Um, you know, you get as a mechanism where you're knocking that stuff out of the park. I mean, it is. I mean, it's transformative and it's exciting when you're in those environments. I mean, that's you know, I've been part of a, quite a few teams who've who've been able to do that and. Um, and I've been part of teams where the whole thing is just slammed on the floor and, you know, you just sit there and you can just, you know, now you've got a couple of years of you, but you can kind of see the pattern. But when you're in it, it's very hard because it's like, well, I have no clue. Um, we're just working harder and harder. And it's it's the old analogy. Well, we've already got six dead horses in there. Let's throw two more in and see if it goes any faster. <laughs> It's like okay, <laughs> so but yeah, I think I'm happy to kind of have a more conversation that back back from my MPD days, days especially uh, back at Hilti, in terms of um, you know a lot of fantastic learning. They're really good organization in terms of their innovation streams, um, but again, the strategizer stuff, the um, business model, and the also the invincible companies is a really good read. Um, Especially for people who are looking for, you know, how, how do how do I how do I um, you know what is it evolution versus revolution? It's the how do you, how do you move and move my business along as it evolves so that I uh, I don't slam into a wall because uh, it, it's 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 risky. There's a yeah. Speaking of which, there's um, two two quick thoughts. Number one, we probably should sit down. I'm guessing our paths have crossed indirectly a lot because I, yeah, just the, some of the tool companies that I did tours of duties with and, and yeah. some of my friends from those. But then also um, you were talking about evolution and revolution. A friend, uh, a friend of mine that's probably more of an acquaintance now, Abby Griffin is her name. She wrote a book. She's out of the University of Utah. Okay. Um She's actually the one who invented, truly, this is documented, invented the phrase voice of customer. Okay. Um, And she did a bunch of research on um, major corporations and how they drive innovation over generations. Yeah. Okay. And um, 
anyway, I'll, I'll look up the name of the book and um, right. get it to you. But she essentially interviewed these engineers at Caterpillar. And this is back in 2008 to 2010, 11 timeframe. And they were saying, oh, our goal is to be able to find a forest somewhere in the world, say pick China or Mongolia or something like that, and take a, a C-130, a series of C-130s over right. parachute and equipment. No wow. person ever touches the ground Bang. until a plane lands on the airport, on the, the runway that our equipment built. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that's big and hairy. And yeah. But they're doing yeah. it now. Yeah. That's right. Well, I, that's the, um, the, the challenge with, 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 with vision, isn't it? And today, um, we want the step change vision, but without the revolution, because, you know, you, you mentioned Danica in terms of, you know, you talk about processes, and structures and how they become, you know, this, they're so re restrictive that it cuts away the innovation. And that's kind of how, you know, you see that that's how societies is how, how, you know, businesses die. Um, you know, was it, was it um, Kodak who had the first digital camera? Was it oh, yeah. It was Kodak. Yeah. It was Kodak. They, yeah. They and they decided, they decided that probably wasn't the way to go because they were making so much money out of film. You know, the, the, the business out of the little roller film was just, you know, off. Um, and so, you know, you look at their business model the last years and the struggles they've gone through, and I'm assuming there's a couple of smart people working there. Oh. Uh, but, I, but you're absolutely right that uh, having the vision of, um, you know, putting that stake in the ground downrange and growing towards it, not knowing what the land is in between and what you're going to hit, uh, you know, and having people who can, you know, you can do in that way that it's not going to shake the business to the ground. Because uh, revolution is bad, yeah. Too much revolution is too bad, and too much passiveness is bad. And yeah. so you you got to have that foot in both camps. Um, and I know there's a few podcasts on other people who speak about that, and it makes a lot more sense. And so the question is, having people who can kind of lean into the chaos, but still have that foot back in the structure. Um, I mean, that's you know probably where you see good leaders are able to do that. Um, but it's um, like I say, it's it's a hard skill to learn. I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why I grade myself on that. But I, you know, uh, but I like I say, I think that's where a lot of people are up and coming through organisations where they're struggling is, you know, they are the anarchists, which is great because that's what changes and, and brings and you know and churns up the waters and stuff. But you can't run a business on anarchy. No, 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 you can't. You're you you die quickly with that. So, but again, yeah. you also can't grow a company very fast if you are absolutely constrained by financial constraints and budgeting systems and meeting systems and the rest of it. I mean, that's so, you know, finding people who can come up with elegant solutions that bridge the gap is, uh, you know, we're back to finding Goldilocks. That's right. That's right. Well, and it's... Um, one of my B school profs did a bunch of research in it. And essentially it was like, there's five phases of every company yeah. and the ones that last figured, you know, they go from, you know, like uh, innovator stage to or visionary to barbarian to um, manage to administrative to ivory tower and death. 
right? Right. Yeah. And and it was like the really good ones. And the visionary is, you know, the, the new guy comes out with the technology and everybody's like, oh, that's awesome technology, right? And then the barbarian is, you know, they, it's, we're just going to go get sales. Boom, boom, boom. We're just getting, you're smashing right. people over the heads, bringing in, you know, all the volume we can. He said, but somewhere between the really good companies manage to go between managed and administration, because when you get to administration, you got to push yourself back down to barbarian, right? Yeah. Like you you can't live in barbarian stage. Yeah. Well, right? yeah. Well, I, well, I think that's the issue, isn't it? It's, this is the agility of leadership. And, you know, one of the things I've seen a lot of outsourced executives, because I've been networking a ton of them the last year, a lot of these people have had 20, 30 years in Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100, you know, NASDAQ, I mean, big companies. These are tiny people. Um, but as they've got older, the one, I mean, and they're still adaptable, but because they've reached a certain level, um, companies have said, well, we can't put you in the lower role, if that's where you probably need them, because um, your package doesn't meet that, and you need to take a demotion. And the answer is like, that's like the worst idea in the world. Why wouldn't you use these people who are already, you know, they've got the bumps and the bruises and the, and the experience. They become the master like, sergeants. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, when you guys come over here, warrant officers, wherever it is. I mean, I, I, it's a different structure to the UK, so I always get confused. Yeah. Uh, my, my son's at Westport at the moment. He just looks at me and just shakes my head and goes, yeah, you're supposed to be the pride of the pride of the British Army and you can't get our rank structure. And I went, yeah, well, <laughs> let's not go down that path. So, <laughs> but, you, but you're right. I mean, that you know, one of the things he's looking at, he's, he's potentially looking at um, being a pilot. And he's worried because he has to do eight, 12, 12 years. And he's concerned that when he gets in there, because he's an officer, he won't do much flying because all the warrant officers do the flying. Yeah. And so there's a ton of cases where all the people have done their commissions and they resign them, become warrant officers, and they still have great careers. And, and you know, you've got somebody who's flying those puppies around. You need somebody who's got a really good head on their shoulders because they're making decisions and in all sorts of craziness. Uh, but we come to the business world, it's like, mm, I'm not sure. I'm like, okay, well, let's just let them leave. <laughs> well, because there's all the, the next generation coming through are hungry and want to change. But again, you know, you sit, you know, when I get, you know, I'm still look, um, working with a couple of people from other organizations that we used to work for, not not in the same companies, but um, sister companies. And I'm still sitting there today going, okay, there's another repeat of hitting the, uh, um, the rake, stepping on the rake and getting smashed in the face. You do know what happens when you step on the rake. <laughs> it comes up and it hits you. Oh yeah, we've only done that three times because uh, you know, I'm just, and, I, and it's because although I've seen the knowledge that people don't want to pay for it anymore because they think, well, you're fat and happy, not really adding value, because we haven't used their skill set and redeployed it somewhere else. And some organisations are really good at doing that. That's what I'm seeing. But there's a lot of companies, and um, but again, they're going to work it out or they're not. So that's right. You know, business is fickle. I mean, they'll uh, and so so yeah. You're actually right. The, the, I I think that's a, that discussion in terms of uh, evolution is, is probably another whole set of topics to talk about at a later date. It is. It is. By the way, the name of that book is the Serial Innovators. Serial Innovators. Okay. Super. Yep. Thank you. Um, it's A B B I E. I don't know. I'll be interested to read because the book of the nineties was was uh, was good to great in execution, and and people are still shocked about good to great because uh, aren't they? It's amazing, right? I'm just like, 
And it's, but well, because again, it's like, well, yeah, but that was kind of you dinosaur guys and girls. I mean, yeah, we're way past that stuff. But, you know, you go into a lot of kind of, a lot of stuff and that good to great stuff. I mean, back to your point, companies had, well, they tracked, was it 50 companies or 40 companies over 15 years? Yeah. And they had to have X amount of profit growth per year sustainability. Uh, I think the bit that was missing out of good to great that probably wasn't as strong was the um, retention of talent portion. But um, but yeah, but in terms of a lot of the philosophies in there, I mean that's still stuff that guides my north star. Um, you know, along with disc and along with situational leadership, Ken Blanchard stuff. Oh yeah. Um, um, but I mentioned when I bring those up in conversations and people are struggling with, you know, a lot of these things, it's like, well, have you seen this? It's online. You just Google it. It's free. <laughs> you just didn't go find it. And they're like, oh, that's. And he said, well, I'm not quite sure what they're getting taught when they're doing their MBAs and stuff this day and age. So I'm, I'm, I kind of struggle sometimes. But, yeah, I th- you're absolutely right. I think there's definitely a need for a lot of these larger organizations to, to take these talented people who, I get it, they they're probably not going to make president or VP, but, you know, they've got these skills. Um, uh, Hilti's very good at doing it, by the way. I have a, I have a friend who um, was my mentor for years, um, and that's what they did with it. And they, they ding ding their packages. Yes, their titles changed, but, you know, their job was to, to mature that young talent as quickly as possible. Um, so, yeah, very, very, yeah very successful at doing it but that's probably one of the few names i can recall which is yeah it's not probably not a good answer but there you go that's amazing it's awesome all right darren thank you so much man i appreciate it 